Hello again everyone, and welcome back to The InDesigner, the video cast that provides information, instruction, and insight for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host Michael Murphy, graphic designer and Adobe certified expert in InDesign CS2. And this is episode 46, Baby It's Christmas Time. Okay, so Christmas has already come and gone, I know. Unfortunately, a winter cold and ten house guests for Christmas have thrown me a bit off schedule, but it's still technically the holiday season, so I'm getting this one in under the wire. Also, the title of this episode is the title of a CD project I designed for some very good musician friends of mine, and that's the project I'm going to show off this time around. In fact, you're listening to it as I speak. The project is made up of a four-page booklet insert with a cover that also acts as the cover for the whole jewel case. The booklet has an inside spread and a back cover. There's also the disc surface itself, the inside of the plastic tray that holds the CD, and the back of that tray which acts as the back and spines of the whole jewel case. In the last episode, I used several InDesign features together, rather than focus on one in particular. People seem to like that, so that's the approach I'm taking this time, too. Like most projects, it started out with a conversation with the client, in this case, Melissa Mulligan and her husband, Bill Blue, who were putting the finishing touches on the music they'd been working on for several months. They had the name, Baby It's Christmas Time, and they wanted the design to have a retro Dean Martin-era look to it, and use more of an offbeat version of the traditional Christmas palette, opting for magenta and chartreuse over red and green. We talked about a few options, and the fireplace and stockings idea was well-received as both holiday iconography and as a clever means of displaying all of the other musicians' names on the inside of the booklet. Plus, you have to have a place to rest your martini. As with just about any project, time was tight, and I didn't want to waste any, so I went immediately from that conversation to a sketch pad, roughed out some general ideas for myself about where I might want to take this layout, and then fired up InDesign and got straight to work. First, I'm going to create a new document for the booklet, which is four pages. The booklet is four and three-quarter inches square, and I only need a one-column layout here and no gutter. For page margin, I'll make sure the Make All Settings the Same option is on, and just put one quarter inch in the top field, which then gets applied to all four sides. For the bleed, I'll also set all settings to be the same, and give the document a one eighth inch bleed. The last option, Slug, we haven't covered before, and I don't want equal values for this one. I'm going to set a one inch slug area top and bottom, but just half an inch left and right. I'll be talking more about this in a few moments. Since this is my first CD booklet project, but hopefully not my last, I'll save this as a preset so I can set this type of layout up faster in the future. I'll name my preset 4-page CD booklet, click OK to save that preset, then OK again to create my document. Here's my 4-page document, but I want to set it up in two spreads so I can see the back cover and front cover side by side as you would if you laid the printed piece out flat. To do that, I'll select all the pages in the Pages panel, and from the Panel menu, make sure that Allowed Document Pages to Shuffle is unchecked, and Allow Selected Spreads to Shuffle is also unchecked. Then, I'll drag the icon for page 1 over to the left side of the spine until the cursor looks like this, and I see this thick black bracket. 
Then I can release the page icon, and page 1 is now a left-hand page. I'll grab the last page in the panel and drag it up to the right of page 1 and position it so that I see the thick black bracket to the right of the spine, then release that. Now I've set up two spreads, but I want to fix the page numbering so that the first spread is correctly numbered as 4, the back cover, and 1, the front cover. I'll double-click the triangle over the first page to open the Numbering and Section Options dialog, and choose Start Page Numbering at 4. Then I'll select the right-hand page of the spread, go to the Panel menu, choose Numbering and Section Options, and set the page numbering to start at 1, remembering to clear out this annoying Section 1 prefix that InDesign tries to put in there by default. Then I'll click OK. Now my document is set up as two flat spreads, but has accurate page numbering, so if I want to print page 4, I'll get the back cover, even though it's the first page in the document. Now that the document's set up properly, let's take a closer look. Most of you probably recognize this as a page margin guide, and this red guide outside the page edge as the bleed area. But out here, there's also a blue guide. What's that all about? This blue guide indicates the slug area I set up when creating the document. It extends one inch above and below the spread and one half inch on the sides. Most of us know the difference between the normal and preview modes in InDesign, but InDesign has a total of four viewing modes, including bleed and slug mode. Normal is what you see here. The document, pasteboard, guides, bleed, and if you happen to be showing them, frame edges. Preview is the document layout only, with no bleed, pasteboard, guides, or frame edges. Non-printing objects also disappear in this mode. Bleed is the same as Preview, except that it includes the designated bleed area, typically one-eighth of an inch. And Slug extends that out to include the slug area, which is an area outside of the page edges on which you can put text, fold marks, your logo, and other information you want to print along with the document, but outside of the live area of the page. When you print an InDesign document and turn the slug area on in the print options, everything in that slug area will also print on the page outside of the page edges. I'll get this document out of the way and let's look at the real project files and see how the slug area can be used. Here's the booklet viewed in slug mode. Notice that the visible area extends beyond the page and the bleed. I've used the slug area for this booklet to add fold marks, which InDesign doesn't do when it outputs a file. That way, when I print out the layout to make a dummy, I have my fold marks in place. Over to the right, under the front cover, there's information about the file itself, specifically the file name and the date it was last modified. As I work on a project, I may make several versions, and once I print it out, it helps to know which file I'm looking at. Suppose I decide to experiment with some design changes, but I want to do it in a copy of this file. I'll save this as version 2, and look what happens when I switch back to normal view. Not only has the name information changed, but so has the time. Both of these pieces of information are being maintained by a new CS3 feature called text variables. Let's take a quick look at how these are set up on the master page. I'm not sure if you can see this in the video, but each of these pieces of information is surrounded by a very fine line, the same color as the guides on this layer, which is the telltale sign that a text variable is being used. 
typically when I double click a word I select the whole word but with variables the whole thing is one unit so double clicking selects everything generated by the variable to see how these variables work I'll go to type text variables define here on the left are a number of preset options with the exception of chapter number and running header, they're all based on some kind of information about the file itself, but you can customize how that data is presented. With file name selected, notice there's a preview of what that variable will produce down here at the bottom. If I click edit, I can change that presentation. For instance, I could choose to include the file extension at the end. With that checked, keep an eye on the page in the background as I click OK. It now includes the extension. I'll move this dialog out of the way so we can edit the modification date variable and you can see what happens on the page. Right now the preview shows the variable presenting the entire month name. I'll click edit and move this dialog off to the side. In the date format field there's a bunch of shorthand for the formatting of the date. The four uppercase M's mean show the entire month name. I'll select that then go to the menu at the end of the field and choose another option for the month submenu, name short. Notice the preview at the bottom reflects my change. Watch the page in the background as I click OK. I'll click done and you might notice that while the month name has been modified, the actual time hasn't. But if I switch to preview mode, it does change. Text variables require a refresh of your screen to visually update, either changing the zoom level or toggling from normal to preview, or using the keyboard shortcut Shift F5, which forces a screen redraw. That's also a good keyboard shortcut to remember if you have an InDesign document that stubbornly refuses to redraw a portion of the page. I also use the slug area in the other parts of the CD package too, so let's take a look at the file for the CD tray itself. In slug mode on the back cover and spines layout, I added fold marks for myself where the layout wraps around the sides of the jewel case to form the spines, again so I'd have an accurate guide when I print this out for mockups. Down at the bottom I have my file information controlled by text variables just like in the booklet file. On the other side of this sheet, the printing that you see through the clear plastic tray that holds the disk itself, I've made a little note for myself and indicated the area where the printing on this liner will be visible when you look at the front of the closed jewel case. I needed to make sure nothing but the wallpaper pattern showed through. All of this information in the slug area is on the backmost layer in my file, and I've used layers to help organize my whole layout. I can turn those crop and fold marks off, or the wallpaper layer, the fireplace, the stockings, or the photo. At the very top, there's a hidden layer named CD Label. If I turn that on, I see the artwork for the disk surface itself, so I get a true sense of how my little surprise of the dog photo behind it gets covered up, and I can adjust my artwork in this file accordingly. The disk artwork isn't actually created in this file. It's in a separate file and just placed in here for reference and to simulate the look of the package when the disk is in it. But notice in the links panel that the placed disk art is named cdsurface.indd. This is an InDesign file placed inside another InDesign file, just like any Photoshop or Illustrator file would be. So if I choose Edit Original, I go right to the InDesign file, and I can make any changes or adjustments I want to the artwork or the text, save those changes, 
and when I return to the file in which it's placed, it updates automatically. One of the other things I tried to do when working on this project was to keep as much of my work in InDesign as possible. Some things had to be done in Illustrator, but some didn't. For instance, this striped wallpaper pattern that's used throughout the project. When I select it, notice that there's no link highlighted in the links panel, even though I can move the whole thing as if it were a single placed graphic. I'm going to quickly recreate this wallpaper right in InDesign to show you how it was done. First, I'll switch to the rectangular frame tool and draw a vertical frame on the pasteboard. I'll fill it with my green color, and then holding down the Option key, I'll duplicate this frame several times, each time typing the letter S to switch to the Scale tool and randomly make the frames thicker or thinner, until I have enough to make up a repeatable pattern, and I'm not spending too much time thinking about this as I go. Then I'll select all of those and Option drag to duplicate them, and grab a few from the middle just to fill out the pattern. Switching to the Rotate tool, I'll very quickly and randomly rotate each shape, not thinking too much about it at all and keeping it very random and casual, which is in keeping with the design of the overall piece. And I'm speeding all of this up here, I don't really work this fast. The problem is, I don't really want to have to select and move all of these objects around or clutter up my layout with them. So I'll go to the Object menu and choose Paths, Make Compound Path, to turn all of these shapes into a single compound shape that can be selected and moved as one unit. To make it even more efficient, I'll cut the whole thing to the clipboard, draw out a new frame on the pasteboard, then choose Edit Paste Into. Now I can use the Direct Selection tool to select the shapes inside this frame, or the Selection tool to select the frame and use it to crop these just like I would any placed image. Better still, I can fill the frame with another color, the lighter green, to complete my two-tone wallpaper effect. Since everything's done in InDesign, I can modify these color schemes immediately without relying on other files. In fact, the magenta wallpaper is made exactly the same way. It's a copy of this same frame, but filled with the full-strength magenta color. Direct selecting the compound path placed within it, I can apply the magenta color too, but tinted back to 70%. Since I created a bigger pattern than I needed, I can even reposition the stripes within the frame so that it doesn't look exactly like the green pattern on the other side. And it's all done right in InDesign. I can change the color, scale it, crop it, and I don't have to go to any outside files. I kept this kind of flexibility with vector shapes wherever possible throughout this project. For instance, here on the cover of the booklet insert, these silhouette figures were created in Illustrator, but they're not a placed Illustrator file. As you can see in the links panel, there's no link when I have these figures selected. Instead, I copied and pasted the art into InDesign as vector shapes. Again, they're pasted into another frame, so I get all of the benefit of a placed image that I can crop however I want, and even resize however I want. And I get the added benefit of being able to change the fill, stroke, and opacity of the art right in my layout, without depending on an external file. For instance, deciding to change the opacity of the shadows here can be done directly on the vector art if I wanted to make them darker against the background.
I tried to keep as much vector artwork as possible within InDesign, but some things just had to be done in Illustrator. Take the fireplace artwork, for example. This wasn't going to be changed once I drew it in Illustrator, and it was too complex to do in InDesign. The same goes for the Christmas tree. The only changes I would make to either of these pieces of art in the layout would be their size and position, so using a placed file was the way to go. The stockings were also drawn in Illustrator, but I took advantage of the object layer options trick I showed in episode 41 back in June. In the original file, each variation on the stocking design is on a separate layer. Back in the InDesign file, control-clicking or right-clicking on the PC, on the placed image, and choosing Object Layer Options lets me swap out any layer in that Illustrator file so I can show the green and gold stocking, the purple one, or the red one, or the blue one with the snowflakes. In the Links panel, you can see that the same stockings.ai file is placed multiple times with different layers showing. For a complete explanation of how all of this works, check out episode 41. Once on the page, I can use the transform tools in the control panel to flip any placed stocking and mix up the arrangement a bit without having to do it in Illustrator. The names on the stockings themselves are just rotated text frames. I didn't put them in the Illustrator file because I wanted the flexibility to use whatever stocking designs I wanted in whatever order I wanted, whether or not there were changes in the order of the contributing artists up here on the fireplace. Again, I keep my flexibility in InDesign as much as possible. Speaking of those artist names, there's another little InDesign feature put to work there, too. This is a multi-column text frame, three columns to be exact, and the text flows through multiple multi-column text frames. Not all musician credits, however, take up the same number of lines, like this one here for Ken Safety, but they're all aligned to the bottom of their respective frames. There's an align to bottom setting on the frames, but to make sure that each artist appears separately in their own column, there's a special kind of break character at the end of each artist's credit. Under the type menu, there's an insert break character menu, and what's at the end of each of these artists' credits is a column break. Instead of a regular paragraph return, this break character pushes text to the next column in the frame. Other special break characters available in this menu are the frame break, which pushes text to the next frame in the text thread, even if there are other columns in the current one, and the page break, which pushes text to the next page. The odd and even page breaks are pretty self-explanatory, and the paragraph return, well, it doesn't get more self-explanatory than that. So, no matter how tall this text frame becomes, each credit stands alone in its own column, whether or not it's two, three, or four lines deep. There's one last little thing I want to show on the back cover of the CD booklet. The lyrics to one of the two original songs on the disc needed to be included on the back, but there wasn't a lot of space in which to print them. Since I couldn't run each line in the song separately, I opted to run them continuously with a hairspace character, the snowflake-looking asterisk, and another hairspace character separating each line in the song. This formatting is set up using nested styles, and let's take a look at the settings that make this work. In the drop caps and nested style settings, I have none, meaning the normal paragraph style for all the words, through one hairspace character. That's all of the first line up to the first hairspace character here. After that, the character style asterisk separator is used through one character, the asterisk itself, then back to none, the default paragraph style, 
through two hairspace characters, the one after the asterisk and the one before the next asterisk. Rather than have to set this up over and over again for every line in the song, InDesign CS3 has added a great new feature to nested styles that makes this easier for me. My next instruction is to repeat the last two styles. So the formatting instructions continue over and over until the end of the paragraph. That gives me all my separators between each line of the song as long as InDesign keeps finding a hairspace, the asterisk character, and another hairspace. Everything will be formatted appropriately. I realize that we've taken quick looks at a number of small features in this episode rather than doing a deep dive into any particular one, but think of this as a year-end holiday grab bag of InDesign treats. And if you think about it, here's what we've seen at work in a relatively small project. Starting a document on a left-hand page, which can be done in all CS versions of InDesign. Using the slug area, also a long-standing InDesign capability. Using text variables, which is new to CS3. Placing InDesign documents inside of other InDesign documents, also new to CS3. Using frames to crop and manage vector shapes. This is available in all versions of the application. The object layer options trick from episode 41, which is CS3 specific. Column and other special break characters, which has been around for quite some time in InDesign. And finally, repeating nested styles, which is new to CS3. That wraps it up for this episode and this year. I'll be back in the new year with a new episode and news about upcoming events I'll be a part of. So until then, whatever holidays you do celebrate, I hope they're safe and happy ones. I wish you all the best, and thanks to everyone around the world for their generous feedback about the podcast throughout the year. It's been a pleasure. This time around, instead of me talking through the closing announcements, I'll just put them up on the screen and let Melissa sing us out. Happy holidays, everybody. I'll be happy.